Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm not just writing history. I am making it. I have the brain of a historian and the clapback of a comedian. You better come with sources because I always check footnotes. Welcome back to another episode of Historians on Housewives. You're here with me, Casey. Jessica, Dr. J. Mill, the millionaires. Max Spear. Still waiting for my paycheck, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really exciting today because we're here with Dr. Martina Baldwin. And usually people call into our studio, but she is another one of our local Orange County people at Cal State Fullerton. So we actually have her here live in studio with us today. So I'm so excited to be here in person. <laughs> So since um, Martina is already here, I'm going to give you a little bit about her bio before we do the rest of the introduction. Uh, Martina Baldwin is a media studies scholar who primarily focuses on television studies generally, reality television specifically, and media literacy. She's a full-time lecturer in the Cinema Television Arts Department at Cal State Fullerton, and she studies television from a critical perspective. She's interested mostly in comprehensive studies that include political economy, brand studies, and content analysis. She also studies and teaches critical media literacy. So welcome, Martina. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk about Housewives <laughs> and uh, Bravo. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, before we go any further, would you like to share your Housewives tagline? I teach for a living, but I read as a hobby. <laughs> That's good. Bravo. That good? Bravo. <laughs> no bravo. Pun. No, pun. no pun intended. Okay. Maybe a little pun, but yeah. no pun. <laughs> so good. So this is a super special episode because this is our holiday-themed episode for the season. Um, so, Jessica, can you confirm that the Jingle Bell sweater is present? As noted in episode three, we talked about when we would do the holiday episode that it would be the time that Casey was allowed to wear her favorite thing. And she indeed is sitting in front of me in the most interesting Oldest 
or I'm sorry, the most interesting antique Christmas sweater, <laughs> sweatshirt, vintage. Can you see the no, different I, textures? You can see different <laughs> textures. You're not sure if it's a sweater, a sweatshirt. You can see bows that are... Almost um, a rag in some places at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. the bows are both, um, is it called applique? What would we talk about I think about it is. This? I think it would be applique. Applique. A lot of scrunch. A lot of scrunch. Ruching, if you will. But, <laughs> oh, wait, gentle, gentle listeners. Oh, wait, I must confirm that Max, as well, is in his holiday gear. He has a, on a festive blue and white Batman holiday sweater. Mm-hmm. I, myself, did not wear my holiday goods, but I did just go to UCLA two days ago. And as a Bruin, two-time Bruin, I have my holiday present for myself, a nice little, very soft feeling. Is the Alumni Association paying you for this ad? No, I just love UCLA. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's where it's where dreams are made for me. Other people go to Disneyland. I went to UCLA. Mm-hmm. And our guest is dressed in her intellectual knowledge of Andy as any kind of cultural icon we want him to be. You really spun that. I like it. Right. It's my job. One of the things Martina is going to talk to us about today is um, Andy Cohen and Bravo branding. And so in that vein, I thought I would give us a little bit about the branding of Santa Claus in the United States to get us going. You're such a historian. (laughs) So the Santa Claus that we think of today in the, you know, almost like that Coca-Cola Santa Claus, you know, the kind of... um, rosy cheeks, the the red and the white, very jolly. That's really not the way Santa was depicted, really until the 20th century. Um, And so before the 1920s, 1930s, uh, you could see Santa depicted as everything from like a tall, gaunt, skinny man to kind of spooky looking elf. Santa's even been seen in bishop's robes or Norse huntsman animal skin. But the way that we even start to get our modern image of Santa actually comes from the American Civil War and cartoonist Thomas Nast. So Nast drew really the first, what we would think of as a modern Santa Claus for Harper's Weekly in 1862. And In these depictions, Santa is rallying around the Union Army. He's in like the red, white, and blue stars and stripes, kind of the way you would think of Uncle Sam. And um, he did kind of a few of these through the 1860s, 1870s. His last one that he did, I think, was in 1881. Is that right? Yeah, 1881. And his 1881 Santa was his most famous, and that one's still reproduced over and over again. Um, It's also with Thomas Nast that um, we think we get depictions of Santa at the North Pole. So uh, after the Civil War, obviously. Um, But even if we think about the Santa image and Christmas in the United States, it's not actually an official holiday until 1870. And this is something that comes from um, President Ulysses S. Grant, and it's one of his methods to try to reconstruct North and South. And so what we actually get is we don't even have all of the states of the Union ratifying this federal holiday. Christmas is a federal holiday until the 20th century. 
So we get, I think, Oklahoma is the last state in 1907 to ratify. So it takes decades for all the continental United States to ratify Christmas as a federal holiday, right? And it only really gets going as a means of reconstruction. Um, and that's even before you add Hawaii and Alaska. But this image of Santa Claus as being a part of the union and then transforming is kind of part of this story. And then, of course, by the 30s, we get Santa Claus in that Thomas Nast vein for Coca-Cola. And so Coca-Cola Company draws on these Nash or mm -hmm. draws on these Nast images for their Coca-Cola Santa. So Santa has his own history of big marketing and branding in the United States. Yeah, so then Coke's branding then in effect, brand Santa right for the entire United States. Well, NAST does first, right? Yeah, so, but they, right. in using him, in using right. his drawings, wow. Right, and so it's really, uh, and so it's suspected that with NAST is where we get North Pole Santa, mm -hmm. which is really what we associate with now, right? Well, you know what's interesting? I thought you were going to go a different route with the brown branding of Christmas and Santa Claus. Um, and how, yes, it is a 19th century kind of um, consumption invention. I had no idea it was related to reconstruction. But going to Martina's point about, you know, Coca-Cola, now I'm thinking about the fact that you could you can get Coca-Cola anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. You can get Coca-Cola where you cannot get water, fresh mm -hmm. water. And that also kind of, to me, thinks about this kind of exportation or consumptive um, economy that we kind of export to the rest of the world. Even totally. though Christmas was other places and, you know, there was, you know, images of St. Nick or whatever, whatever he was called, you know, like I'm rusty. Now I'm having the pregnancy brain and I'm not even pregnant. <laughs> but um, I'm just, I kind of thought, oh, that's like something about consumption, world consumption. Totally, it's global. It's not right. just domestic. It's a good right, point. right. And and so, but to me, this is why I think of Andy Cohen as our Santa Claus of Bravo, <laughs> right? Because Bravo is global at this point. Um, you can tune in to live feeds on Twitter and people are freaking out. Like, how is my platform going to work? I'm not in the U.S., right? And so, you know, watch what happens live. We'll give them, oh, you need this website to watch Bravo in the UK or whatever, right? And so there is, I think, a way that Bravo and Andy Cohen are becoming very global too. Culminating in the what's going to be the new annual tradition of BravoCon. One of our holiday events, obviously. Okay, and we will literally be there with bells on. You guys are going? Yeah. Yes. How could we not? Well, by the time this comes out, we will have just gotten back. But yes. What? What? How did you get tickets? Um, well, this was a great story. Well, Max and I woke up really at the crack of dawn, our time, because the tickets were going on sale on East Coast time. Max set his computer time for East Coast feed so that his clock made it seem like he was in New York. And I stayed on California time and we were racing for tickets because we were like, well, one of us is going to get them. We told Jessica, like, go to the gym, like, we'll handle it. And um, I totally acted like the talent. I let the producers take care of it. You're going to? <laughs> of course. We are a team. I'm very jealous. <laughs> very, very jealous. <laughs> um, so even after Max did all of his time finagling, I got into the queue before him. And even as I was going through pressing the checkout button, they had run out of tickets. So we got like the last tickets for BravoCon. 
They I don't want to rain on your parade. I do think that that was a gimmick. Totally. Okay. But I am thrilled. I'm so <laughs> thrilled for you. A total gimmick, okay. but we're still going. Yeah, yeah. That's part of <laughs> Bravo's genius, though. So okay, so BravoCon. So so, but so, <laughs> so Andy crazy. is really like our Bravo Santa Claus, right? He's keeping the Bravo spirit all year round. You never know what kind of gifts he might hand out. Um, <laughs> he does give you a lump of coal if you're bad, or yes. sometimes or he cancels gives you a your show. or cancels your cancels Maybe. your contract. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, I I feel very comfortable with this comparison of Andy Cohen to Bravo, and I feel like Martina Baldwin is going to be able to help us um, really kind of flesh out this evolution of Bravo. Um, it won't be as long of a history obviously is the of, of this commercialization marketing of santa claus but certainly um i think that there are some parallels yes you have you guys not talked about the history of bravo on no ABS? never no. so I you're on my laptop first. i should get it out because sure. i don't want to get the years wrong well so our next question then is how did you get into bravo viewing What's, like, what is your personal history with reality television then? My personal history from with reality television starts at my master's level. Um, I wrote a dissertation on the use of the word bitch because I was interested in the way that Paris Hilton et al. were sort of seeking to reclaim this word. And I was initially very offended by it because I was a different person when I was 22. And um, it that's what led me to reality television is actually the simple life and Paris Hilton and that type of thing. And then that's where I also found during my thesis research, my interest in media studies generally, because I was a mass comm master's student. So when I finished that thesis, I thought I want to do more with this. And my advisor said, well, you can't do more with this in mass comm. This is a media thing. And so I pursued it in that way. And um, before that, I guess, 2006, while I was in my program, uh, is when Real Housewives of Orange County debuts. And I live in Orange County. I have always lived in Orange County outside of going to undergrad and, and my doctoral program. But I was really interested in how it would be depicted. We had the OC mm -hmm. prior to that, right. which was fictional. Um, mm -hmm. But... Uh, well, actually, it was a reality show, wasn't it? Mm -mm. No, it, no was, it, was it was scripted. scripted. Yeah, I'm thinking of The Hills or something like that, which right. I didn't watch. Don't, con don't, I know, don't conflate Seth the Cohen. two. I know it, I'm Seth sorry. Seth Cohen with Brody <laughs> Jenner. Ooh, I know How it. dare you? I know, <laughs> blasphemy. Um, so I was interested in it for that reason. And reality television, you know, had started at the turn of the 21st century, the survivors and the American idols and all that stuff, but I wasn't super into that. Mm -hmm. So I was interested in this docudrama aspect of reality television outside of the real world, which of course was wonderful. Um, so I did watch it and I thought it was highly insulting because I lived in Orange County and I had never seen anybody like that. I had seen gated communities, but not like that because if you remember the first season of Orange County housewives was really obsessed with the fact that it was a gated community. It was right. even the opening title sequence was a gate closing to sort of uh, play off of this exclusion metaphor. Like you, you're not allowed you're behind the gates or which, you're on the outside, which is 
really odd when you think about a show that's like, we're going to give you access. You would think the gates would be opening, not closing, but they're like, get out. Right. But this is the (laughs) play, right? Is that you guys get to come inside with Mm -hmm. this show type of thing. Meanwhile, Kodo's really the sticks of Orange County. I actually live very close to Kodo and it is, it's on the outskirts. It's, you know, off the toll roads. It's not. I mean, I live maybe three miles from Kodo. It's and like 30 minutes to the beach from Kodo. Oh, mo- maybe more. It's not the quintessential, stereotypical, normative. It is literally the edge Orange of Orange County. County. It yes, is not Newport, absolutely. Irvine adjacent like you see Irvine. No, no. It's not like where Kelly Dodd actually lives, like Newport, right. that type of thing. And actually maybe even um, Lynn, Heather. Lynn also lived in... Um, Laguna. Before yeah, House those Cup are much Wars. more stereotypical. You're so right. It's very much suburbia out in Kodo. They have their own zip code, their own school, their own, you know, it's a very interesting, weird, weird place. But it's interesting because I feel like they even have a double gate in Kodo. They do. But it's kind of bizarre because it's just like, you really have to decide you want to go, like, go to Kodo. Like you're only going to Kodo not, really if you live in Kodo. You're not just going to run into Kodo. Absolutely okay. true. Like you really have to work to get to Kodo. Mm-hmm. And it's not really even a place that, you know, you can, you know, when people drive around and look at the holiday lights or whatever, they're not going to go to Kodo. No. You can't get in anyway. Correct. Right. And there's like gorgeous communities in Orange County, like Nellie Gale, where like people are actually riding sure. their horse down the street by the mansion. But like you're in between kind of Laguna and like San Juan Capistrano. So it's still like a lot more central in a lot of ways. Yeah. The moment you know that Casey is into the holidays, they have these Christmas things. Christmas lights. Right. Yeah. They have these things in Orange County. <laughs> I just know about the boats they sent up and down the, the back bay. Yeah. But uh, Casey was about to give us, I think she could give us a walking tour of every <laughs> the neighborhoods really, with good really lights. Like. Um, uh, <laughs> so you can vouch that it's, it's not easy to get to Kodo. Not at all easy to get to Kodo. Very far off the beaten path. And not at all typical Orange County. That's the takeaway. You hear that, um, Tamara? Yeah. Oh, Tamara lives... Oh, no, she does live in Kodo now. She used to live in Ladera, which is not gated, but mm-hmm. equally weird. It's the whitest, most suburban. I've never seen something weirder than Ladera. I recently went there. My kid has a pediatrician's office that does off hours there. This is TMI, but we had to go one day because it was off hours. And I was freaked out. It's like Pleasantville. It is. Very scary, weird. And it's kind of like when you're driving into it, it feels a little like you're driving into Jurassic Park. It's across so that strange. It is very strange. And I get lost. I have a friend that lives there. And so trying to visit my friend and then get back to the road, I, every time I am horribly lost, it all very much looks the same. And like that was something that freaked me out about Orange County anyway yes. when I moved down here yeah. was how similar things look. But Ladera Ranch really does feel... Um, creepy, creepy. It is, it is actually like a master sculpted community. And actually there was this one time that Max and I actually met the guy who designed Ladera Ranch at, um, I can only imagine what that man's like. We were, we went to an art event in Orange County and, the guy that designed Ladera Ranch got into a bidding war over a painting with Max's mother classy very classy and then the people that ran the art community had to explain to max's mother who had been like getting artwork there for decades that like the guy that runs ladera ranch like his wife is like the new like president or something like that so like you can't beat him in this bidding war like we know you can but you have to withdraw wow 
So it got like really intense. And then like they passively aggressively fought over Ladera Ranch like the rest of the night. And I sort of love this. Actually. Your mom yeah. didn't concede, did she? She no. ended up, no, she ended up, no, she, she gave up the painting. Like she knew she had to give up the painting. I she got a different painting, there. but then, Sounds but like then they kind of yeah. had their own housewives back and forth the rest of the night because he paced back yes. and forth in front of the painting to be like, I got the painting. Like she backed hunter. out, she wow. backed out of the bidding war. And like, then she would go back and forth with him being like, well, you know, I let, I'm like letting you get the painting. And, um, and then he was like, well, where do you live? And you know, like she's, you know, not in Ladera Ranch. She's actually like beachfront Orange County. So then it got like more awkward. This is so This is so getting kicked Very. out of getting kicked out. The yeah. mother, don't touch my mother Fixing who has the dreads, who has the, this is so the OC this week. Well, yeah. Do you want to? Um, no, the, the thing he said that I'll always remember is he was telling us how he designed Ladera Ranch and he goes, um, I really wanted to have like a community feel. So all the, all the houses are much closer together for white people because that's what we want is to be closer together well he's just trying to maximize profit by putting them closer together as is every new build in orange county but yeah this is you can pretend that's a novel concept or that like that's actually what happens in these suburban communities that like people are really Thinking it through. Thinking it through or like even like altruistic fashion. But I feel like this guy together. also created some design community up by Valencia that I think has probably caught on fire a number of times since the creation, right? And of course everything is closer together because that's what he likes. Mm. Not that great these days. It's not like land is <laughs> a premium all in the outskirts. It's just a weird. No, but so, but so that's like this weird thing that we actually, we got to meet the Ladera Ranch guy in a really awkward, very Housewives-esque way. hilarious. And then the art community lost my car in the parking lot, which was, which was the most Orange County thing to ever happen. And when we went to try to pick the car back up, they told us that they couldn't find it because we weren't driving a Mercedes. Actually, it should make it a lot easier to find it. That's what I thought. I was like, we're the only car here that's a Chevy. You shouldn't have lost it. Not that hard. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Okay. So where are we? (laughs) So any, what, so So, we're still like anything else for your Bravo viewing? So Orange County. So I get into Orange County and I eventually get into my doctoral program, not until 2011. I didn't think that I could do something with it but it turns out I could and so I continued to watch and I watched all of them as they uh were birthed so to speak New Jersey New York Beverly Hills I didn't I don't watch I never watched DC I don't watch Potomac because I had to draw the line I don't watch Dallas I did watch Miami I thought it was great I still am sad that they're gone Uh, I really loved some of the women on Miami um and watch what happens live was my big draw too. Really loved that show. Still do. Um, so anyway, all in all, I've probably watched as of this dissert. I remember in my defense, I told them I had watched over 540 episodes of real housewives and it was something like 350 episodes of watch what happens live for this dissertation. So it's a lot. So you majored in Bravo sort of, not really. Television studies. Can I ask um, just a disciplinary question? Yeah. What, what was the difference between mass communications and then film and media? Well, mass communication studies the history of, uh, you know, mediums and how they interact with this, with society and how they change them and how society, you know, the interaction between the two and the history of the two. Um, but 
when you get into media studies, you're allowed to delve into certain texts and to certain uh, phenomenon, I would argue, and so phenomena rather. Um, so it's a totally different thing, although it's closely related. And media studies is notoriously interdisciplinary. So it's an amalgamation of mass comm, sometimes human communication, sometimes sociology, sometimes anthropology, um, and then just and sometimes history because we all have to learn the history of media. So it's it's really sort of the stepchild of mass comm, but you can't do as much as you want in specific texts when you're in mass comm or comm. So a lot more interdisciplinary. Yeah, very interdisciplinary. Like. Yeah, yeah. Who are your top three Bravo celebrities? How'd you select them? I think I only selected two. I think I selected Nini and um, Bethany ahead of this taping because I did think about it. And both of them, I heard that one of your, your second episode, I do remember that the guest said Nini also, but a very different reason. So I don't know how many people have said Nini, but both Nini and Bethany to me represent sort of this idealized um, goal of the housewives because so many people think that it's so derogatory and so it's like a pejorative and bad commentary on women a bad representation of what women can be. Um, and Andy, I've heard say many times and Bravo on the housewives behalf has said, you know, at its core, the real housewives seeks to empower women, seeks to give them a, both a platform to live their authentic lives, which I absolutely hate the word authentic. We can talk about that later. And also, um, gives them financial independence. So I think both Bethany and Nini have really taken what they have been given at Bravo, which is a pigeonholed, dramatic role in a reality series that they don't have a lot of control over in the end. I think they start to feel as though they have to act a certain way to play a certain part. Certainly most of the women seem to act that way anyway. Um, but they've taken that and it's gone much further than Bravo. Uh, for Nini, she doesn't have a liquor business like Bethany does, but she's been on Broadway. She's been on mainstream network television. Um, she does have a clothing line. Um, she had she's a comedy tour books. too. She had a comedy tour, which was seemingly very successful. Bethany, of course, was on the cover of Forbes. Um, she has a really intense skinny brand uh, empire that she's cultivated and for better, for worse, um, written six or seven books. Um, she's also been on mainstream network television in the form of Shark Tank recently. She also had her own um, daytime TV show. She did have her daytime TV show. I did watch that. I actually really <laughs> liked it. Um, Short-lived, but still interesting. So in my opinion, both these women have taken their personas that they developed on Bravo and use them to actually have serious independent uh, financial independence from both Bravo and perhaps any sort of personal situation that they were in, um, which I think is something that we can call a silver lining in the Bravo verse. I, I, I feel pride for both of them. I don't necessarily love Bethany. I think she annoys, we have a love hate relationship. She and I, she doesn't know it, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sort of sad. She's gone now again from New York, but I also get it. 
And uh, as for Nini, I love her, but I often disagree with uh, how far she takes her persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bethany's actually like the most popular housewife with guests that we've had on Is the she? show. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to think of a non, someone who didn't build an empire, I don't even know who I would think of. Although I do love, um, I actually really like Melissa Gorga. Oh, okay. That's a new one. We don't normally. I like Melissa. I mean, I've started to like her a lot less the more I watch her interact with, um, Joe. Is that his name? I Joe Gorga. Yeah. I totally skipped. (laughs) Their relationship is insanely archaic. Insanely archaic. And he's just really. Joe, if you're listening, we need some 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 kind of gender mm-hmm. awareness classes. He's talked He's about none. he talks so weirdly about his daughter. I yeah, and I stopped watching Housewives for a minute. Uh, Ronj, as as Max calls him, I stopped watching Ronj for a minute because he literally talked Ronge. about his wife <laughs> having a scent. He was on screen on camera talking to other guys talking about his wife's scent like those are some things we don't need like vaginal scent i assume so oh he's like i can smell her when i come into the room i said i'm so grossed out that's disgusting and i'm all about no judgment be there be be free but at some point you know well the hyper masculinity yeah yeah. Of, of 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 Joe Gorga is just he's also fallen into a really intense stereotype that he plays up so hard, so hard, yeah, so hard. That scent thing has like an air of Silence of the Lambs to me. Mm. Oh. You know what I mean? Like a little bit of like little psycho. Yeah, yeah. It has a little a like, little predatory predatory yeah. kind of. Well, he yeah he totally acts predatory. He's, he's, demands he, sex and she talks about that a lot. It's she calls him Tarzan. Like, yeah, so it's yeah. like I, I have a problem watching their dynamic. But anyway, I do think... It's a good point. As an entrepreneur, and she's pushed back and said, I know you don't want me to yeah. do this, yeah. but I'm going to do this. Yeah, so. that's true. So this brings us into a different kind of question. If you had to pick a particular Bravo show that you think has been of special importance to the network or even reality TV more broadly, which show would you pick and why? I pick out of intense bias because I wrote my dissertation on it. I picked the franchise of the real housewives. I don't think it's a, it's not totally possible for me to pick one. If I had to, I might pick orange County. Um, I think that the real housewives changed pop culture. I think that it changed a lot of reality television, especially in the docudrama subgenre. Um, when I think of just how much of it has entered our popular lexicon, how many times it's been on SNL, how many times people have, um, the, the word's not covered, uh, remade the series under a different name, Basketball Wives. Um, Very popular with this part of the table. Oh, you love Basketball <laughs> Very, Wives? I mean, there's so many parallels. It's like how you do reality TV well, how you do it, I don't know about well. But. I haven't really dove Dived, dove, dove, dive, dove. Haven't dove in. I haven't dove in. (laughs) I've not dived into basketball wives. I'm interested in it because so many people tell me the same thing. But there's a lot of, I think, you know, that's how television works. It's based in formula, which comes out of radio. And uh, this formula, the formulaic nature of this particular show that was such a success has since, like, very much influenced um, 
the rest of reality television. And although people say reality television is dying, it's still very much alive. So many mm-hmm. networks are more than half sustained. And up until two years ago, Bravo was fully sustained with reality television. Um, I can't, I don't think you can argue enough for The Real Housewives being one of the most important shows of our generation. Whatever important means to you. I mean, but, just saying the name Housewives, people know exactly what that means. Yeah, right? most people. I, yeah. I find my students, the younger kids are not as privy to it, not as interested in it. Um, but, you know, maybe their time will come. Which is odd. I've noticed that in classes, too, yeah. when I mention You'll Housewives. Mention it and they're like, no, we don't watch that. Yeah, and then I feel a little old. Yeah. Or people are embarrassed. Or it's also really interesting to me where if I talk about the housewives, I have this phenomenon sometimes where it's my male students who are more keyed in than my female students. I haven't had that. I'm interested in that. Like, and even in the live show we just did, it was a bunch of young male students in the audience mm-hmm. who were up and who knew what we were talking about. And it was it was not really the younger women in the audience. Mm-hmm. It was like the the young men on campus. I'm wondering if that stems from viewing habits in their household. Maybe the moms watching it and them joining. I just don't see. I don't know. Maybe that's a sex. It's it's probably sexist of me to think that I can't see twenty somethings coming to these programs on their own. But I do wonder. I was definitely that twenty-something. You are. I dragged Casey. Oh into my god! It. I mean, I, I dabbled slightly before I Max. Did. It's like we're talking about like uh, mushrooms or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, because one well, of my one yeah. of my dearest friends is a Bravo um, editor guy, so he works for the network. What, so, what department? Um, he does promos. So um, he does all the promos for Below Deck. Mm-hmm. Rad and Below Stud Deck of the Men. Sea. Yes, yeah, that I was him. It. Oh my god, amazing! Yes, so all the like all the promo commercials you see for those, so good. Is mm-hmm. yes, and so please extend it, my compliments. I will. Okay. He's he's the best. Um, so artistic and creative. Uh, and so, but when I was younger, before I met Max, he was working on different housewife shows and Top Chef. So I think Top Chef oh, Seattle wow. was his, mm-hmm. um, for all those promos, and so um. So I would dabble and watch to be like, oh, I saw your show. It was great. I loved the promos, you know. And with Max and I, like the really only thing that we could agree on to watch was Bravo. <laughs> so it became like our major deep dive to not then have to fight about what we were doing in our downtime. Yeah. yeah. And in my late teens, early 20s, me and my other male roommate would watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I still watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, I fell out of it and then we've been like slowly getting back into it i the find them absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. i'm very interested in um kanye's current transformation into a cult leader mm-hmm. wait a minute breaking news i have bravo news tell breaking us, news kanye as of two days ago wait a minute breaking news oh where's my soundtrack Did you oh my- it's in it's just oh, on yeah, here. I don't have to- <laughs> Breaking Bravo news. Kanye, as of two days ago, says that he received a $68 million tax refund because he is blessed by God. Yeah. What does that have to do with Bravo? Nothing. You said Kardashians. Oh, breaking. Oh, you said. Okay. okay. Breaking Bravo news. We're like CNN around here. Oh. We just go into it. I'm sorry. Yes. You were a little academic there. You went a little literal. (laughs) I know. I know. A little literal. My apologies. This is wonderful news. (laughs) Then I had this moment. Did we not just talk about Kardashians? No. No, you're right. I'm just nuts. 
You're just trying to like make Max editing sure, really difficult. To, like, I was trying to make sure that Bravo there was not together. some Kanye involvement on Bravo that I did not know about. Oh God, no. no. That would be really, <laughs> oh God, yeah, no. That's the last great. thing we need. Yeah. So picking up then on this history of Bravo, before I ask you more about sure. critical media literacy, could you give us some of this history of Bravo? Yeah, I have it. Um, so Bravo as a channel debuts in 1980 as a premium commercial free channel. Uh, it goes ad sponsored. Really, 1980. 1980. Wow. Yes, it's the uh, what we call in TV studies the um, multi-channel era, which the invention of cable, uh, the actual Look wires in Bat the ground. Max. He feels like that his whole is life is blowing a lie. my mind. <laughs> he feels yes. like his whole life is a lie. <laughs> no, it's not because it doesn't become the Bravo you know until yeah. much later. Uh, this is it's a very arts focused channel it's you know playing ballets and and symphonies and things like that Whoa. becomes ad sponsored in 1998 is purchased by nbc in 2002 um launches two gay friendly shows in 2003 in accordance with its sort of niche branding at the time uh, which it still carries through to today uh boy meets boy and queer eye um Queer Eye was big. Everyone's very familiar with Queer Eye, especially now with the Netflix revamp. Um, So that really puts Bravo on the map. Andy Cohen uh, joins Bravo from the network trio in 2004. Um, Then Lisa Shaw, who is a digital genius, joins Bravo in 2005. That's only relevant to my dissertation, sorry. Um, Programming-wise, 2006 is when um, Housewife starts, as well as Top Chef. Uh, they really start branding in 2006 as well with this tagline, Watch What Happens, um, which has sort of now p- petered out a little bit. It's petered, isn't it? Petered, pittered? Petered. Petered. It's petered out, uh, and I don't think it's actually part of their branding anymore. Um then they really seriously brand their audience. Um, they launch a campaign called the Affluencers, which is something I'm really interested in. And they brand their audience as the most affluent, um, educated, brand loyal watchers, consumers that have ever walked to the face of the planet. And that really sets the foundation for how Bravo is viewed both in the industry um, and by that by advertisers moving forward uh atlanta debuts in 2008 along with new york watch what happens live debuts in 2009 um another tagline comes about in 2009 the by bravo tagline where everything was you know drama by bravo summer by bravo um you know divorce by bravo whatever it was uh, matchmaking by bravo all of that did is 2009 that's also sort of died out along with the premiere of New Jersey. DC is 2010 with Beverly Hills. Uh, that's 2010 is where they get their Bravo Now app, app. So they're sort of more dipping their toes into the digital empire that they have really, in my mind, mastered in terms of cable networks. Uh, Miami debuts in 2011. Um, Bravo, Watch What Happens Live goes five nights, nights a week in 2012. Um, Andy releases his first book in 2013 and leaves his position at Bravo as an executive. Um, second book in 2014, watch what happened live, watch what happens live. Why can't I say that? 
I've said it so many times in my life, uh, adds their live after show and their first scripted program. So they break out of reality in 2014 with Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce and uh, goes on. The last two things I have are Potomac and Dallas, which debuted in 2016. Um, so yeah, that's in a nutshell. I don't know if that was boring for the listeners, but that's in a nutshell the history of Bravo. And they've had a lot of branding stuff that's happened in between with lots of digital initiatives as well. But um, in a nutshell, that's it. So part of this work that you did to put the history of Bravo together also comes from your study of critical media literacy. So what is critical media literacy and how has Bravo been so much a part of your studies? Actually, I don't know that my work on Bravo, oh, that's a really good question. As I was doing this work on Bravo, I didn't see the media literate perspective that it could actually bring. Critical media literacy asks us to understand the political economy around television in addition to the text that it produces, um, in addition to the social impact that it produces, in addition to you know who owns what and why certain things get to be said, certain things don't get to be said, why certain ideologies are present, why others are left out completely um, or demeaned. So media literacy is really just about understanding the things that are made. From a reality television perspective, that would include something I didn't do in my dissertation because I didn't have access, but it would certainly include production. Production is a huge part of media literacy in terms of reality television because it's presented to us as real and actually insanely overproduced and very much edited to present a specific narrative. Uh, I don't think out of evil, out of necessity most of the time uh, and for ratings, but that's how television works. And most people don't understand that and they start to say um, reality television is fake, it's all scripted, it's all this, it's all that, when it's much more of a nuanced accusation than that. It can't be simplified down to reality television is fake. And part of being media literate is understanding that Bravo is owned by a parent company that's a massive conglomerate and has a lot of power and has a lot of money and has the ability to do the things and have this niche gay-friendly reality television-driven network. Um, It is part of a bigger package. Um, So in my dissertation I speak to the audience part of it I speak to the textual analysis of some of the shows as well as the history of Bravo and the branding of Bravo in the hopes that when we look at shows like this from a media studies perspective or from our students perspective that we don't just take isolated things from the show and make sweeping generalizations about it that we understand how these media texts are made because there is no such thing as um, an, an innocent text. Is one that I'm being a really bad media scholar right now because I don't remember who said that. Um, but there is no such thing as an innocent text. So no matter how something is, how silly something is, how uh, guilty people feel watching it, which really bothers me. That's uh, an, another media studies pet peeve. But mm-hmm. however many people refer to it as guilty pleasure, it doesn't matter because it's still influencing our society. Um, our culture, our legacy. And the fact remains that millions of people watch these shows every night and are invited to judge these women's lives. And it's impossible that that doesn't carry over into our cultural ideologies. 
Um, quick question. How do you feel then about the phrase unscripted television, I think they call it, instead of reality TV? It simply uh, typically refers to the fact that the people who do write, if they do, are non-unionized. Oh. So that makes much more sense because I know the Kardashians have a script. They do have, they, I mean, Kris Jenner is the master puppeteer. She mm-hmm. doesn't let anything go by the fly. So everything is planned. I don't know that they have a script, but everything's planned and she has a heavy approval in that process. Um, but for the housewives, do I believe it's scripted? I will go to my grave. No, I do not believe it's scripted at all. Do I believe it's overproduced? Yes, I do. Do people know the difference? No, not typically. So overproduced for me is something I learned um, in school, but Vicky confirmed for me in an interview I did with her years ago. Uh, it's the similar thing to we're all at a party and production is there and they're filming us and Jessica and I have sort of a beef, but we're not talking production after we've had six glasses of champagne comes up to Jessica and says, Jessica, you know that Martina called you an asshole like two days ago in an interview. Mm -hmm. And Jessica says, what? And they say, yeah, she did. She did it. And I think I just heard her do it again. Six glasses of champagne deep. Jessica comes over to me. Or she maybe she doesn't, but then production comes over to me. <laughs> <laughs> production comes over and says, "You know, Martina, we just told Jessica that you called her an asshole," and she said, "I don't care that she's a bitch." And I say, "What? What?" And then all of a sudden, I'm going over to Jessica. If not, Jessica's already coming over to me. And you know, with our liquid courage and the fact that we need to maintain our reputation on television, we start defending ourselves. Is that scripted? No. Is it calculated and scaffolded to produce an emotional scene? Absolutely. Are the emotions that we feel in that moment real? Yes. But are they helped along? Yes. It's like showing up to an already set table. Correct. And then enjoying the meal. lots of liquor. Yes. And drivers. By the way, when I'm angry, (laughs) I've been told that I look like a little chihuahua because I'm short, but I'm fearless. Oh, I like it. So just so you know, any tall person... Yeah. Who calls me an asshole or a bitch. They will get this little <laughs> chihuahua nipping at their heels. I, have said, I would never. I would never. Simply <laughs> an example. I have said that H on H needs our own reality show with Ooh. this type of like dynamic. That could be really stuff. good. Yeah. That could. I mean, listen, I am a window into a married <laughs> life. <laughs> I, am a, I, I have a window on a working marriage relationship. Uh-huh. I thought just as, you know, someone who was their examiner on, on com- a committee or read chapters, I thought I had it uh-huh. doing you a seminar with both of them separately, and then I could put their personalities together. But doing this podcast, I have eyes. learned they need their own show. Oh. I usually <laughs> say I need my own show. They need their own show. It is hilarious. I'd be willing to produce it. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't need liquid courage. liquor you up and tell you <laughs> that so-and-so said something about you. <laughs> they don't even need that. We, we were late starting a meeting by almost an hour because, you can edit this out, because, you know, Max is very professional, so he sends a text. We, we just are dealing with something. Oh, okay, it could be anything. But then they got back on the phone, and we started talking, and I said, well, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. See, I told you, Casey. I told you I was right. <laughs> 
Wow. So I have a. It's but adorable. It's all, all the fights yeah. are Bravo related. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Please They're not no. like legit. Please no. So I anyway, let's go back to the back to the show. Back to um, the real show. So you had the opportunity to actually interview Vicky, as you just said, and Peter Madrigal, or is it Madrigal? Man. I think it's Madrigal. Madrigal. Like so you had the opportunity to interview both of them for your dissertation. What was that like? Um, what kind of conclusions did you draw from these interviews, either academically, personally, or reality TV eat? Yeah. <laughs> Bravo deed. Yeah. Um, Vicky happened much earlier in the process, 2011, maybe. I think it was my first my first year, the December of 2011. I was home on break, and uh, she had me meet her at Kodo Insurance. The way that I came to meet her is... I'm in love with this story. I can't tell you how... It's the most insane story. I guess we can cut it out. I'll just tell it very quickly. Yeah, whatever you don't want in the show, we can always cut out. I don't care if people know this. They had... Tamara and Vicky had a now defunct business, Wines by Wives. Yes! Okay. So, of course, I decide I'm going to write my dissertation on it. I'm like, I'm joining this club 100%. So, I join it. I get all the notifications. One day, they have a thing that says come enter a contest to meet us. And I'm just like, duh. So of course I enter the contest. I never win anything ever. I get an email. You've won. Oh my gosh. You get a trip to California. I, I live in California. So, oh, I mean, I was in is. Illinois at the time, but I was going to be home cause it was going to be over Christmas break. Um, or maybe it was spring break. I don't remember at the, at the moment. But anyway, they had this L.A. launch party of Wines by Wives, and I was invited as a VIP with a meet and greet as, as the part of winning this contest. So I went with a girlfriend of mine who's Bravo-obsessed as well, a friend of mine. And um, so we went, and I met them. They were crazy. There really wasn't that many of us, maybe 20 guests, people who won this contest, and when I met Vicky, I said, I'm I'm a PhD student and I'm writing my dissertation on you and the housewives. I flattered her. I didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I could tell. By yeah. That and uh, <laughs> she said, what? What's that? And I said, oh, she I'm. She knew what a dissertation was? No, no. She okay, didn't know what a dissertation was. No, not. I don't think many people do. Not for nothing. But I said, yeah, I'm writing it and I would really love to interview you. I'm so impressed with you being a working one of the few people who works on the show because you know she loves that right she oh loves. yeah so you I, knew exactly what i knew to exactly say. i'm what to so say. impressed thank you and uh she agreed to it and she gave me her email address and she said to email um her assistant at kodo insurance and to set it up and i said i will and she's like no yeah please do so i did and she followed through with it and she gave me i think only a half an hour she gave me but i went to Kodo insurance michael was there wow um that older woman who helps her who's sometimes in the show linda was there as well um michael was a horrible individual super rude to me and to her in front of me just as he's portrayed on the show he's not to Linda or to his mom? To his mom. Wow. So she sits me down in the conference room and she basically is like, you have 30 minutes, go. I'm like, okay. They were filming at the time and Cut Fitness had just opened up right next door. Uh, so she had just, Tamara had just opened that business and she were fight. She and Tamara were in a fight. And she said, you know, I'm not talking to her right now and this and that. And I asked her, I think the question that elicited this response was, you know, lots of people accuse the show of not being real. How do you respond to that? Is this show real? 
And she said, well, if you mean scripted, it's not scripted. Is it real? Like we're friends? No, we're not friends. We work together. And I said, okay, so you're not friends at all when you're not filming. She's like, no, we're not friends. This is not my friends. My colleague, you know how she gets like very yeah. spazzy <laughs> and like, it is. she's like, yeah, it's not my friend. It's my colleague. Don't you have a colleague? It's like a colleague. You see him at work and you don't see him when you're not at work. I'm like, okay, okay, relax. Um, I didn't say that. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Internal dialogue. And, um, you know, she just basically reiterated to me that the production people are real shitsters. And uh, <laughs> although they love them very much, they're the people who tie everything together. So in other mm-hmm. words, each of the women have production people they work with and share their day-to-day lives with like, Hey, production person, I'm doing this today. And my daughter's doing this today. And my husband and I fought about this yesterday. And then Vicky has her own, you know, Tamara and Vicky have their own, each have their own, I'm telling this wrong. So someone has them and then they each, they each have their own production people that they share their lives with. And so those production people are the people who are responsible for making six separate lives or however many cohesive. And the only way they can do that is to share details of some women's lives with other women. So, oh, you know, um, for example, to bring it to current day, I have no doubt that the production people for Emily are telling all the other women that she and Shane are having terrible problems, you know, all these things. So Uh this is how it's connected because they're not friends. So they don't call each other and say, I had a fight with Shane. I had a fight with whomever. They're not doing that. So that's in that way it's instigated and your private details are told to people that you work with and, it gets, you know, it festers from there. So that was the most interesting thing that Vicky told me. Um, she was very matter of fact of like, yeah, we're not friends. And I was like, okay. Peter, the most interesting thing he told me, that was a couple of years later, I landed that interview by going to Sir and literally flattering the crap out of him because he was my waiter, our waiter. And I just said, you know, I think you know, I love your position on the show. You're like kind of the voice of reason. Cause in the beginning he was on the show much more. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, I'd really love to talk to you. And he was sort of like, where do you live? And I said, Orange County. He's like, well, I'm not going to Orange County. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll come here. You know, it's fine. So we met at the Grove one day um, and we talked for a while. He loved to hear himself talk. He really loved it. And um, uh, the most interesting thing he told me was that at that time, he told me two things. The first thing was that the people, they don't really work there, which I think uh, we all knew yeah. that they originally did work there. But now in order to stay truthful, they all give their shifts up. They work there, but they don't actually go unless they're filming. So they <laughs> give all their shifts off when they're up, when they're not filming. And I'm sure it's different now. I'm sure they legit don't work there, but this was years ago. This was probably only two or three seasons in. Um, And he told me that they got, uh, I said, you know, because it's hard to believe as a viewer that you guys have these very average L.A. apartments and very average L.A. jobs and really nice, you dress really nicely and you go out and you do lots of stuff. And he confirmed, as I suspected, and most people do, Mm. that all of production pays for everything that they do, uh, as is the same with the housewives. But he even went a step further and it blew my mind, even though it shouldn't have, that they get wardrobe budgets on Vanderpump. Uh, and I don't know that they still do. They might, but they're so much more famous now. Maybe they do. But I that just blew my mind. And that, it made so much sense. That changes how I see Tom Sandoval. Right? Because yeah. like, he the, the, always yeah. has new clothes. The wardrobe budget blows everyone's mind? I know yeah, it shouldn't. A little bit. I know it shouldn't. It shouldn't, but for of some reason. Of course it does. I mean, of course they do. For, for, 
precisely for what you said. Yeah. I've lived in Atlanta. I've lived in L.A. I live in Orange County. Um, I've lived in D.C. I know how much you have to make to dress the way they do or to drive the way they do. So I'm just surprised that as a media scholar that that surprised you. Totally. What surprises me about that is I was always under the impression that because when you watch the evolution of the housewives, like when Tamara first came on, she she looked like a, a relatively average person, right? And now I get the impression that like she puts her paycheck back into the way that she looks, her house, etc. And so to hear that that is actually like separated from her paycheck, no idea me. about the housewives. Maybe it's just negotiated. But you also have to remember that the Vanderpump kids were not getting housewife salaries, right? They were desperate to be on television, mm -hmm. and they were doing it for nominal amounts of money in the beginning. And even now, I would argue that their salaries are probably nowhere near the housewives. Mm. So I'm sure that the housewives, you know, that's part of it. But also, the housewives are able to, and so are the Vanderpump kids, to get free things done because they filmed them. Botox and procedures and derma dermatology right. dermatological beautification you know all that stuff is free because they have a you know product placement on i wonder their body. how much sonia has saved on vaginal rejuvenation you a lot <laughs> who just, wait someone else just did vaginal rejuvenation who was it shannon shannon, shannon. and kelly i will say that i went to sir for one of my birthday dinners a couple years ago and Peter was the manager that night. He works there for real. He does. Mm -hmm. He totally does. And um, and I think he even had to bring me my food because I had like a food allergy. So I had to make sure that like my plate was clean. So he had to like do the special delivery. Um, but it was still while the cast would still sometimes work there because they hadn't gotten super famous yet. It was still only like maybe two, three seasons in. And so I actually got there and Tom Sandoval started his bartending shift and I got the first drink of the night That's and I was like awesome. sitting at the bar with Tom Sandoval because it was still like early so it wasn't like crowded yet so it was just me and Tom at the bar and um, That's pretty cool. And he was like, "Oh, do you want to take pictures with me?" <laughs> yes. He was like he's like we can do selfies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really amazing. offering it up there. Yeah. yeah, no shame. Someone else who I'm sure if you had run into him, he would have like given you an interview in like a heartbeat. I'm sure. He probably sure. still would. He probably still would. Yeah. If you're listening to this, Tom. Tom Sandoval, come find me. <laughs> Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> in thinking about Bravo and branding, what roles does Andy Cohen play in shaping the network? Oh boy. I do to harken back to Casey's um analogy of Andy being the Santa Claus of Bravo. I think it's, it is, it's really true. I laughed when you said it because it's one of those things like, yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> Andy is, I think Bravo and he is the brand of Bravo in so many ways. The brand is built on um, lifestyle tenants that he embodies being affluent, being um, urban and being, uh, educated, being rich, being gay, uh, now being a single father is sort of taking away from that, but he still embodies the brand. And the interesting thing about him, I think, is his role as the late night talk host, um, talk show host, because his role 
as that host is so differentiated from every other one of his peers, not only because he's openly gay, but because his sexuality allows him to ask questions that other hosts would never get away with. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, James Corden, they could never ask a woman about their Botox, about their boob job, about whether they have ever swam in the lady pond. Uh, you know, they could never ask those questions. It would be completely unacceptable. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily right that it's acceptable that Andy does it, but that is part of their branding. They ask salacious questions. They get salacious stories. Watch What Happens Live in and of itself is a place where people admit to things they would never admit to on other talk shows because it's so untraditional in its nature, fueled with liquor. Um, and to me, that is part of the Bravo brand. This idea that Bravo liberties and celebrities are accessible, that they're real, that they exist for our consumption is furthered every time Andy sits down with a guest and every time he puts on a show, every that part of the brand is just, you know, driven home. And Watch What Happens Live embodies all the digital initiatives that they're so obsessed with and is a really actually technically advanced show. Um, there are no other shows except for Walking Dead that copied Watch What Happens Live that do that. The live answering of questions by guests that's not a thing that happens outside of radio so yeah i don't know if that answers it fully but i do think he is the life's blood of bravo they're going to be really screwed when he leaves um so i think that you very masterfully managed to answer two questions in one so now we're going to do our bunko party game break oh sweet Woo! okay so today's game I am calling Jingle Bells. Okay, I'm going to give you five different scenarios. And it's cool because I'm going to give you a piece of paper. So you can order your five in the order that's most important to you. So you're going to do um, like your least to your to your most. Okay. So here's how this can go. Um, I'm going to throw out iconic housewives slash Bravo holiday party events. Oh. And you're going to order these from your least to most favorite Bravo holiday moments. Okay. Then you three will lobby each other to see if you can make your lists align in the same order. For each position that you align, I will play some jingle bells. Oh, this make sense mm -hmm. sure. any questions oh no so this is how you you got over the group um the 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 um uh, i have a gluten brain i'm gonna just quit talking for this <laughs> so. <laughs> so in no particular order here are your five andy cohen and anderson cooper new year's eve 2018 a very Jersey Christmas from season three. There was lots of drama because Kathy invites Joe and Melissa yes. to her house for Christmas Eve. And Teresa's really upset. And she's like, no, Joe, you should stay. This is family. What a bad cousin. Because if she was a good cousin, she wouldn't be taking you right. to her family. Like, I would never take one of her siblings and be like, come to my house for Christmas Eve. What about our parents? And, like, I remember her dad it. is, like, really grumpy that, like, Joe might be leaving. And, um, and of course, the Manzo's 
Joes are having like these this massive Christmas Eve party with all these tables set out and like the line that like cracks me up Caroline's walking through the house and she goes um she goes um is there enough cheese and sauce on every table because <laughs> they're making like <laughs> spaghetti dinner for Christmas Eve um and she is like so done with like the cooking and like the deck that she is like there in sweat it's this gorgeous party and she is like really just comfortable um vicky's winter wonderland party from season eight it's um episode 17 and 18 it's the iconic last um party with gretchen it's gretchen's farewell to the housewives it's where lydia's mother gets in trouble with ryan for her feet up on the couch oh yeah that was that was a really good episode (laughs) i barely remember it but i remember the feet thing yeah um holiday uh in the Berkshires at Dorinda's home, which was the Berser- uh, the Berserkshires episode from season nine of Real Housewives of New York. Where, is this the same um, Nutcracker season? Is this the season with there, Nutcracker? Um, uh, that's actually the season after the okay. first iteration. Bethany, I mean, it's both both years in a row, Bethany and Luann are going at it. Um, Mention it all. Men- yes. It Mention it all, I believe, is Nutcracker season. Oh, Okay, then Bethany and oh, this is the one where they came in with the same haircut. So actually, you know, I'm just going to call Dorinda's Berkshires. um, Either way, because to me they bleed in. They could have been the same holiday. So I just we can call this just holiday in the Berkshires with Dorinda. What does she? She yells something very specific about. She slut shames her in a very specific. She does in this in this particular season, and 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 it's because like Bethany has come in, and Luann is like, oh, so you're stealing my hairstyle now. So it's that season, and the one after is when Bethany tries to convince her, don't marry Tom. This year um and then the nutcracker happens in an episode after so this is season nine but it's very similar to what happens in season 10 too and then finally we have the southern charm episode called ho 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 from season five it's the end of the season this is patricia's winter ball and it's the first time that Catherine gets to come back into the good graces of patricia she comes as shep's date and what makes this party so iconic is that um thomas ravenel who is Catherine's mm-hmm. baby daddy baby daddy um he has this super crazy girlfriend at the time named <laughs> ashley who was act- who's actually from santa Barbara and so she went from Santa Barbara to Charleston um to try to be Thomas's one and only and she loses it at this party and the episode essentially ends at this winter ball with her screaming at Catherine that she's nothing more than an egg donor and like she's essentially alleging that like Catherine will never see her children again and like it's like super crazy. Oh, so this isn't last year's. It's the year before. Yes. When? Season five. Okay. It's the last episode of the season. Yeah. Okay. So you can order those five episodes um, from your, um, again, from your least iconic to your most, like, I need this in my life or like, so I need one, it to be there. One is the lowest, right? Yeah. And okay. I'm going to pull oh. up. One is the lowest. Um, quick question though. Wait. Well, we can. Oh, well, I'm really gonna have you go from lowest to highest. So you can do it normal okay. one to five, however you want to order it, as long okay. as you know what your most iconic is and your least iconic. Okay, everybody ordered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Martina, what was your least iconic? Southern. Oh. Southern charm, but only because I don't watch it. So, okay. but it sounds like a very epic showdown. It was it's, really intensive. It's okay. a very good show. Okay. In terms of entertainment value. Where did you guys rank that Southern Charm episode for Chris holiday? Ball. That's yeah. what oh, that's my least 
Oh, what about you, Max? Oh, I put it at three. Oh. I felt like that the Winter Balls generally serve a similar purpose as the Berkshires of, like, getting everybody in one place to, like, like, here's all the tea. Like, that's sort of how they... That's how they operate. I don't think that they're um, particularly iconic compared to some of these in terms of um, the holiday magic that we see with, like, the Berkshires. Um, yeah, I'm okay with that as one. Um, but for number... You mean for, as your least favorite? Yeah, as my least favorite. I'm okay if we put that there. I just although, want to jingle the bells, so... Well, I need to... <laughs> Let her have her moment. Uh, okay. I no, just, you, can, you can lobby. Well, I, can I, lobby. I would like to lobby um, Andy and Anderson's New Year's Eve because I can't... As your least... Because I can't think it's off mine. the top. Jessica it's is my not four. having this. What for you is iconic about that? Are we talking about the one where both Anderson and Andy got drunk? Yes, or was it this when, last year. Which was the one where he, where Anderson got his ear pierced? Was that when he did it with Kathy? I don't remember. I don't think that's with Andy Cohen. No, yeah. no. Oh, yeah. that was CNN. That's <laughs> it, both on. No, yeah, no. CNN, they're so. both. But Kathy Griffin Kathy got Griffin kicked off the show because she did that Trump thing. Trump. I get that, but yeah. there was one. Wh- there was one. Uh, oh, I'm thinking New Year's. Am I thinking New Year's? Yes, this is New Year's where, with where, Anderson. Where Anderson? But I don't know if he pierced, pierced his ear with Andy Cohen. It might or have not. been when he was drunk with Don Lemon. My bad. I just think anything with Anderson Cooper is going to be my most iconic. I don't care. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to fight you that. But I will say, if we had to fight for the most iconic, I... This is the least iconic. Least iconic. This is the least iconic. Okay. All right. I don't want to get... me off the island. Yeah, I don't want to get on Jessica. I'm not going to get to jingle any bells in this game. I can already (laughs) tell. Well, (laughs) we haven't been allowed to go through our list. Max and I agree. So, maybe, what's your number? Are we doing... Number four now, or just no, to number one? Okay, so what is your number? Yeah, what's your number four? So your second to least favorite. Yes. Mine's Andy and Anderson. Sorry, Jessica. I mean, I can't even remember what episode it was, so. <laughs> um, Mine is, doing this back, the Ronge Xmas, because I can't quite remember it in my mind what you said to me sounds fabulous i just haven't <laughs> seen that episode i remember it it actually is my least favorite episode um i mean it's my number four mm-hmm. because i think though it's not i though it's not holiday the most iconic is when melissa gorga was they were at the cabin and melissa gorga was on her knees saying we're begging oh. you for our family yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the boys get into a Right. And the boys yeah. get into it. Right. So yeah. I'll give it a number four because it's not like my most iconic family interaction on, on Ronge. Mm-hmm. Can we agree on four or are you going to yeah. keep Anderson at four? I'm fine with us going to Ronge. Okay. For, so everybody's Ronge for sure. Four? Yeah, we might have to compromise with AC. And- Can you hear my jingle bells? Wonderful. Okay. I, I feel like Casey did the entire podcast idea. Just for that moment. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> and the smile on her face tells me so. Actually, this game was inspired um, by my fandom of Michael Rappaport on Bravo. Oh, well. Um, I don't know. Because Michael no Rappaport more. is really into making lists and like fighting with himself about where to position things in a list. 
Um, and so this game was inspired by Michael Rappaport's various housewives list. I see. And please know that I'm the only one that when they said you're Bravo Leverty, I said Michael Rappaport. That doesn't count. <laughs> That's a good one. That doesn't mm-hmm. count. I think it's no, definitely no. helped his career. Definitely. Okay, so what'd you guys make number three? Mine was Ronge, but now it's not. So does your four become your three? Yeah. I to the listeners, I don't know what to tell you. Just you know, have your spreadsheets out. <laughs> Mine is uh, Southern Charms Winter Bowl. Mine is Burchard's so. because get out. <laughs> no, you can. This get is out. number three, right? I'm yeah. sorry, you're gonna have to leave. Yeah, this so is can the I switch point. Berkshire's? Well, if I switch, then I'll have to agree with you that Anderson and Andy can go to three. Yeah, Berkshire's I'm gonna push when I remembered that. the slut shaming. Oh yes, I remember it now. It could almost go to my five. So let's just continue in this conversation. Berkshire's, though, if I say Berkshire's to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. With like Ander- Andy and Anderson. Like I had no idea. So it they takes can go a to, second. They can go to five. All okay. right. All right. Go ahead. Hit oh, it, Casey. Oh, so we're Andy and Anderson are at the five. bottom Only because I can't remember where Anderson got his ears pierced or when. <laughs> Yay. Okay, so we're in agreement on four and five. Okay, so what is in three now? Did we figure out it was... Why don't we put Ronge at number three, and why don't we put uh, Southern Charm at number four? Because Oh, I, I could do that. I could I could very well do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that would mean that the... Um, so number two... It's Vicky's Winter Wonderland. Yep, that's what mm-hmm. I have. Oh, wonderful! Me that too. was a great. I had it for two as well. I'm not oh, even me lying. Too. That was a great. <laughs> that was a great party. And you know, what? I don't really think it happened during the holiday season because they don't. I mean, it was a party to commemorate coming home from um, Vancouver and Whistler in Canada. Yeah. But I, I, I took this as. Um, you know, holiday and a non-holiday time. I mean, it's Winter Wonderland. It's you know when I counted it. Wait, when... Whistler. What? Whistler. Yeah, they go to. I did not have multiple partners. Oh, yes, yes. (laughs) So good. Uh, So, yes, Winter Wonderland party was to commemorate that Whistler trip. The other part of that, wasn't that the episode when Terry Dubrow says to David Bedore, we have a term for you in medicine. No. It's called penis. No. No, that wasn't that episode? No. No, are thinking of a different season. But it was a party at Vicky's house that he said that. That Mm -hmm. was a different end of year season. Yeah. They might have just been wearing heavy coats then too. So good. Yeah. Yeah, no, this was the one where um, Jim Bellino actually shows up no. and they're confronting Slade the whole time. And oh, yeah. Shannon's not on yet. So you're thinking of the... Uh, of the Like the following year The or following something. year. Yeah. Well, still works for me. <laughs> okay, so what's number one? Berkshire's. Oh, Berkshire's. Okay, so we yeah. moved that to... Ber- okay, that's fine. Yeah, we're all happy with so this. So what's our yes. official list again? Number five. Wait, 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 oh. Jingle Bell. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> okay, and so we're going to start from our least iconic to our most iconic. So do you want to take it away with the list, Martina? Sure. Number five <laughs> was Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper, New Year's Eve, 2018. Number four, Southern Charm, Patricia's Winter Ball. Number three, Very Jersey Christmas, Real Houses of New Jersey, Family versus Family, P.S. I Miss Kathy. 
Number two, Vicky's Winter Wonderland, Gretchen's Farewell. And number one, Holiday in the Berkshires, which could be interchangeably season nine or ten. Yeah. And that would make Dorinda so happy yet so upset, right? To have this, her hers being the most iconic because she believes in being a good hostess. She tries mm-hmm. to make it nice. She tries to make it nice. All she does is try to make it nice. She just tries. Oh, she, I think she knows that like it's the most iconic holiday parties. Because remember this last season, she tried to host Halloween oh, instead. Yeah. And it was still just nightmarish, but made for the best television. So really, you can't take really the housewives anywhere. You can't take I think anywhere. Dorinda would like my Christmas sweater. Without a doubt. In I fact, think I think would. you should tweet a picture of it <laughs> at some point. It sounds like a good idea. <laughs> okay. So that concludes Bonko Party today. Nice. Woo, everybody wins. Mm-hmm. So, Martina, what are your favorite Andy Cohen moments? If you have any. Uh, one that comes to mind is um, when he asked Shaq the size of his penis at that live show in L.A., Oh, yeah. Shaq, you wear a size 15 shoe. Dun, dun, dun. How big is your penis? I was like, (laughs) what is happening? (laughs) Oh, my God. That was amazing. I loved that so much. Um, Everything, all his performances at the reunion are so good. And also, to be honest, it was so iconic the way he acted during the Teresa and Joe interview this past Sunday. Yes. Oh, my God, he was so shady. His facial expressions were everyone's facial expressions. I loved it so much. That uh-huh. is, he is the, he's the surrogate viewer. And that's really <laughs> what another part of his branding, like he acts the way we would if we were interviewing them. He was so sassy when Joe tried to be like, I'm not wearing orange. Like, uh, no, you're totally wearing orange. How about when Joe's like, <laughs> "New Real Houses in New Jersey is the best thing to happen to you, Andy. He's like, uh... Not really. The birth of my son, number one, and then maybe a lot of other things, and then New Jersey, maybe. And <laughs> there, and there were series before you, Joe. Yeah, he didn't believe that. There he were. didn't believe yeah. him. I thought. I actually think that that interview is going to go down in reality TV. Oh, history. it was so good. Could yeah. you imagine the cage match between Vicky Gumbelson and Joe Judice about who is more important to Bravo Network? Oh my goodness! Actually, no, <laughs> no, I, can't. I couldn't. No. It is not going to be um, polite society, if you will. Are those the two people with, like, that we can definitively say they have, like, the biggest egos? A Ramona of, Singer. Oh, uh, Ramona would bigger be Ramona Luan? over Joe, for bigger sure. Than oh, bigger than I think Luan. Ramona has a bigger head for her place in Bravo because yeah. she never took a season off. Like, right, the Countess actually took seasons as friend of the show. So Ramona That's is true. the only continuous full-time... Like, end all be all for um, Roni. Luann's been humbled. <laughs> yeah, right. But has she? I don't know. No. That I, not, but I think in Ramona's mind, it makes a big difference. Okay. Okay. That should have been another list that we made. Who has the biggest <laughs> That's ego? the next game, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any other kind of Andy moments? Um, all his reunion stuff. It just drives me crazy in a good way. He's so, I mean, when he's Ter- so good at that. When Teresa was pushing on him, oh yeah, during that fight, yeah. that's iconic. Too. Yeah. I mean, maybe Ron is the most important for yeah. Andy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I. Can- I just can't think of too many. I, they all blur together. I've seen because he's always kind of shady and messy. So shady mm-hmm. and messy, and I love that he owns it too. There's a lot of things I don't love about Andy, but that's one thing that I love about him. 
So related to that, so he Andy says that he feels no guilt whatsoever What in terms of what might happen to people as a result of coming on to the Bravo shows, mm-hmm. be it divorce or prison time, like in the case of Teresa and Joe, um, because people come in voluntarily to film. So what do you make of this? Does, does Andy have any kind of culpability, or should he? It's a really difficult question to answer for me because reality television uh, from – from a media studies perspective, is really exploitative uh, because it plays on the desperation of people to be famous, one. And number two, the editing is so... Uh, the production and the editing can be really misleading. Mm-hmm. So it And typically, reality show contracts are some of the most... Uh, I don't even know the word. Exploitative? Exploitative in that they're so possessive. I mean... For silly things like American Idol, you sign your likeness away for something like eight or nine years, no matter how far you go. Yeah, that's standard for these most of these singing shows. You know, Shark Tank, you sign away part of your business, whether you get a deal or not. Like they're exploitative anyway. I'm learning so much from Martina Baldwin. Oh my gosh! Mm. Well, that's just like yeah. When Kelly Clarkson and that other the the runner up in Uh American Idol, Justin Guarini, that. When they had a movie together, was that put out then by American Idol? Yeah, it must have been. It must have been because they owned their likeness for so long. And Kelly Clarkson being on The Voice now made me think to myself, wow, I bet her contract with them just expired. I'm sure that's not true. But I, I thought to myself, I'm sure Fox and American Idol were not happy about her going to The Voice. Um, but anyway. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, so it's not Fox. Because it's not Fox and it's not. I don't even know who, who NBC? does. NBC? NBC is the voice. Yeah. And they're very separate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So do I think Andy should have culpability? I don't think it's. Andy can have culpability for the way he acts on his show and the way he talks, but Andy is an EP. He's, he, appro- he condones the behavior, but he doesn't produce it. He doesn't go to the editing bay. He looks at, you know, he looks at the episodes before. He approves them for sure. But I think the shadiest stuff is done in the editing room and on the ground with the production team. Um, and when we say EP, you mean executive producer. Sorry, he's the executive producer for all the housewives, yeah. And I, it's a really hard question because, like, from a production standpoint, he's right. It's not his problem. From an ethical standpoint... Do I wish he cared more about the way these people's lives are torn apart in some time, you know, in some ways? Sure. But I understand why he doesn't. He can't. I mean, he can't. He couldn't control that. And they're so desperate to be on the show. Bronwyn much? I wish we had a chance to talk about her. Uh, oh, yeah. we will in a second. Oh, good. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you make I, of him during reunion saying that like the like the reunions are his least favorite thing to do for bravo because he has to be the moderator for these fights do you think that that comes from a genuine place or he says that yeah he has said that recently multiple times actually he's probably over it because i'm pretty sure that used to be his favorite thing to do but now that these people feel like they have some sort of status i'm sure it's a little bit harder too i don't know i don't know what i make of that i think i thought he lives for reunions but i don't know so can you maybe 
<coughs> expand on this relationship between Andy Cohen, who becomes affluencers, Bravo liberties, and the expansive digital and fan initiatives that Bravo has? Is this what makes them a successful leading network? Yeah. This combination. That's what I think. I do think that it's all those things combined. Uh, and although the affluencers and the audience aren't branded as they once were, they were branded in a very specific time for a very specific purpose. And it has fed, you know, it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Did they brand the audience first or did the audience, you know, meet this self-fulfilling prophecy of being um, educated and affluent or at least thinking they were in addition to appreciating Bravo. But I also think that Bravo has two very distinct types of fans, people that watch it and really think it's cool and take it seriously and people who watch it um, because they hate it, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, same with Kardashians and anything on TLC and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I do think that is what makes them a really competitive brand in the digital era because with all these things, people going all a card and cutting the cord – they are really digitally revel relevant. They have a really good presence online. Their app kind of sucks, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But they're I don't I wouldn't be surprised if they're one of the early a la carte options, like leaving all their cable packages and going to that because they know that it's the way of the future. They're just really smart like that. Bravo is literally the only reason why we keep cable at this moment. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's I don't know. I don't know if I answered the question. No, I think you did. That it's this combo that makes them pretty cutting edge. Yeah, I do think that. And the television landscape changes so quickly and is at such such a turn of... It's changing so much right now, particularly, that it's amazing that a little niche cable company, cable channel that's based in reality television is so popular. It's, yeah. it's really quite an accomplishment. What do you make of... Bravo's ability to almost live off the promotion of itself, right? Like um, you have these Bravo liberties who come out with their own pop albums, but it's really only to like sell themselves as housewives or like Sheena Shea. Or, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you make that as? Of What do I make of them branding themselves? How Bravo has been able to essentially like leverage that into keeping not its only, own industry yeah 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 that it's like in everything is so in-house that it's like promoting itself over and over again yeah so the interesting thing there's a really smart woman who writes much better about this than i can talk about it her name's allison hearn and she talks about self-branding in the age of reality television specifically and how uh she calls it i think the age of the branded self and essentially the idea that all these reality stars are in the business of promoting a brand that is themselves. However, uh, I would argue that these women are all recruited to Bravo because they fit the Bravo brand, right? And so not even the brand of the company, but the brand of the audience that they want the audience to think that they are. And so these women, unbeknownst to them, do the work of Bravo branding through the branding of themselves because all the things that they want to be known for are the same things that Bravo wants to attach itself to. Um, being wealthy, being entrepreneurs, having nice things, doing plastic surgery, you know, all these uh, things that are 
part and parcel of the Bravo brand that each of these women live every single day and then the cameras follow them living these things every day and so it's just super cyclical and just feeds back into itself mm-hmm. over and over again yeah so our bravo news update <laughs> okay so i have a couple of stories today for bravo news okay how exciting um as requested bronwyn it turns out that she actually um almost divorced her own husband years ago that she um, ended up, I believe, cheating on him. He was a workaholic, so he wasn't home enough. Um, And they already had a bunch of kids at that point. And so she actually kind of pulled up stakes and ended up in Hawaii with the kids. Is this alleged or is this confirmed? This is confirmed. Oh, Yeah, yeah, this is confirmed. When did you find this? Oh, it's been like in the media. I'm sorry, I missed it. So, okay, for our listeners, I might have said this before, but I I can't sleep at night because I'm pregnant, so I just read reality TV Bravo news. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so Bronwyn had an affair on her husband. Um, they separated. They actually separated. So he stayed stateside. She ended up in Hawaii with the kids that they had at the time, and she apparently had this, like, Hawaiian, like, surfer dude boyfriend, and they'd, like, surf and talk or whatever. And um, or whatever surf and talk. Well, she she says like it was much more of like a uh, more of a like companionship. I don't I don't know. She (laughs) she made it try to sound deep. Um, So I'm just being true to the article. So um, it turned out that in order to reconcile the family, um, her husband had to quit his job as an executive. Okay, and so that's when he kind of became a stay at home dad. They reunited. But that's kind of his, he had, he ended up having to go through a whole kind of career transformation to spend way more time at home with the kids in Bronwyn. Didn't they promote him as a CEO though, when she was first coming on the show? Um, yeah, but the CEO time almost wrecked their marriage. So they have 29 and a million children. Yes. Yes. So he needs his job. Yes. So now he's a CEO again, but like he's working on things to promote his daughter's new athletic wear business. So embarrassing. Yes. So that's Bronwyn. So almost torn apart, still together. Those crazy kids. And this happened years ago, apparently. Years, years, years ago. I am as underwhelmed with that news as I am with her on the show. (laughs) She's... She's a very interesting character to me because she's the only one that I've ever seen be openly desperate to be on the show. I follow her on Instagram and when I when I when she was right before the season aired, she posted um a video of her shooting the title sequence with her family and said this long series, I think it was in her stories, this long series of them, how they were crying in the dressing room all day, how it was the best day of their lives, how they've waited so long for this moment, how they've never wanted anything more than to be on this show and all this stuff. And you can tell when she's during every episode, she'll start shit. And then immediately, as soon as people get mad at her, she's like, I totally own it. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I really, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's like, so she tries her hand at this intense stirring of the pot or revealing information that she knows she shouldn't because she knows that's how the show works. Mm -hmm. And then it backfires and she realizes she has to see these people who are all higher on the totem pole than her every single day when they film. And she's like, "Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's the most interesting thing. And I think it's, 
she's probably more open about it than most. I'm sure there's been other women who have been desperate to be on whatever cities and they've made it on, but she is openly thirsty about it. And it's very interesting to me. Side note, who do you think is more thirsty this season? Bronwyn or Tamra to stay on the Tamara's, show? I don't even know how much cussing I can do on this show. I won't do it, but Tamra's not a good human. She's that not, is an ongoing. Universally not, agreed. She's not a good human. And Play I think those jingle bells. She's been so much. So, she's been on the show for so long, and she's become this potster character that she feels the need to be relevant on the show. The only way she can be relevant on the show is by revealing absolute BS whenever she can. Garbage. And it's so terrible. She is she is a really terrible person and her son is a piece of I mean the fact that she's poo. stayed on this many years after Naked Wasted can we just say is really troubling. <laughs> yeah, is, that should be like one and done for her, right? Or two and done. I think well, if Naked pre- Wasted had happened, happened now, now, she would have been done. Yeah, Absolutely. that was pre me too, right? It was yeah. very very much so. I think the only reason she's had her contract this long is that Naked Wasted happened so long. And ago. no one remembers. And no one now we stirred it up. But she thinks <laughs> though, she thinks that she is on the show because of that role. And so mm-hmm. she's consistently mm-hmm. trying to do it. It's it's really, really crazy. She's a terrible human. So therefore she might have the biggest ego in all of Bravo. We just have been not been aware She's of just it. a fame she really wants to be famous and nothing that they do works. Now they're selling weed products and C B D stuff and it's like nothing they do works. It's because she's a bad human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So in keeping with our OC theme for Bravo Breaking News, um, we, of course, have the divorce of um, yes, Jim juicy. and Megan Edmonds. And the thing is, is that <laughs> Megan thought they were going to couples counseling and was talking about how they were working on things. And like within hours, it comes out in the media that Jim has filed for divorce and Megan doesn't know. And um, but now he's. But now it seems, statement. but mm-hmm. now he's issued another statement saying that he loves his wife so much. And he didn't want to hurt her this way. So I can't quite tell from the new articles if he's backtracking. But in the meantime, the daughter that he had with Leanne on Housewives is like, I have been waiting for him to leave Megan for years, that bitch. Right. So like she can't stand Megan, but the other stepkids really like Megan. The two young ones. The two. Yeah. Were the one Jim the and Megan ever in the same relationship? I don't, I mean, he always came off really horribly on the housewives. Um, and of course what started this whole spiral other than just housewives drama, um, originally is that when Megan was pregnant with her twins, um, he was having an appropriate, um, text message relationships with somebody and he he says he he didn't actually cross the line i don't think megan necessarily believes that she doesn't she said that she he was having physical relations before during and after but he says he says he just made um ill-advised text exchanges is what he says and and so apparently he decided to like very hurriedly issue these divorce papers after a st louis blues hockey game where he took one of the many nannies but the nanny he took is like a 22 year old girl and he didn't tell Megan that he'd be taking a nanny he to lied the blues about it, game. So yeah, he, she's like, I had no idea. And so then she was like, Are you sleeping with a nanny now? And so they're like, How dare you? It's a twenty-two year old girl. But like Megan is a lot younger than Jim. 
So it wouldn't be totally unheard of. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, no, she was hurting because um, her boyfriend broke up with her. So I was trying to be sweet to this girl, yeah. which I'm like, this is really bizarre, Jim. It's like, not the role that my boss plays in my life. But. Yeah, really odd. So this is the other Bravo breaking news. It's really unclear to me what's going to happen to them other than the fact that I feel like they've always been like just two ships sailing in very different directions in the night. But Megan has really been left with the majority of um, the responsibilities for caring for the three children she has with Jim. And one of them has um, d- um, some severe disabilities. Yeah, a brain injury. Yeah, so she's yeah. been, um, you know, jet-setting across the country with the with heart um, to try to help him with his... Um, medical issues. I think she only ever wanted the children though. I don't know that that's, I think, yeah, I think she's fine with that. She consciously had children with someone who didn't want to go to IVF treatments with her, who Mm. was consistently rude to her in front of cameras and whatever, whenever I see that house husband classic, like being a dick thing, I think it's so much worse than what we see because this is them knowing that someone's filming it. Right. That's their best uh-huh. behavior. This is their best behavior. And then Jim even said recently that the, that housewives made him look bad. And so now everyone hates her, hates him and she has all these fans. And so of course this divorce, he's going to look like a monster. And my thing is you were on the show more than one season. If you really had a problem with editing, don't give them anything. Don't, act so horribly to your wife in public Mm -hmm. if you are so afraid of how they're going to make you look in the editing room these people they can't help it they're just so mean not everybody can be harry hamlin that is true he's an actor he's an actor extraordinaire because i don't believe that relationship is that good oh really i don't well i've actually heard that but i'm standing for the fact that it is as good as lisa and harry make it out i'm sure that it's very um you know, I'm sure they love each other very much. I don't think it's, they don't see each other as much as right. it seems. Like, I think they have very separate lives. Mm. Well, how do you think about Kyle Maurizio's relationship? That seems good. I think he's probably a bit of a crook. Allegedly. Allegedly <laughs> yeah. to all the lawyers that are I do. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I think he's allegedly probably dabbled in some stuff. Um, But genuinely probably it nice seems to like her. like they're very in love. Yeah. yeah. And exactly, that's a good example. How many seasons has he been on? Seven, eight, nine? And no he's one never been he's portrayed as a terrible person because yeah. he doesn't act like a terrible person. See, yeah. that's like that's the thing. These people are like, it's editing, it's editing, it's editing. It's like, you can't make up something that's not there. Well, and even Ken came across as like a terrible person mm-hmm. to other people, but he never came across as terrible to Lisa. Never Correct. did he yeah. ever come across as terrible to yeah. Lisa. Everyone knows I mean, better. or another person that comes to mind is Terry Dubrow with Heather. Um, not as a terrible person, but like they had a relationship where he would always kind of like nudge her and I never, got, or like she would refer to it as like being like a little brother <laughs> that would like always like poke Yeah, poke they're not on. quite the Bickersons. They're not uh, Adrian and uh, what was his name? Oh Paul? gosh, that was yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, but Terry, Terry and Heather could kind of um, yeah, poke yeah, at each like other. Needling. They seem like they have a very real... Yeah, yeah, it seems like a pretty accurate portrayal. But. Yeah. Well, and I feel like with the Teresa and Joe, this was like the last piece of news. With this interview, they were just so real about the fact that 
I think they're heading for divorce. Um, Melissa Gorga came out and said that, you know, her and Joe would support whatever decision that her sister-in-law and brother-in-law made, but that they hope that they stay together because of the kids, but they understand it being healthy if they separate, which was like such a like taking the middle of the line because I have to give a story to the press, but like I don't want anyone yelling at me. But like, you know, Joe was never good to Teresa. No. Like, and there was plenty of times where even before prison, he was caught with other women. Well, on my, well, on our tweet, I guess it wasn't my tweet. Whoever does our tweeting noted that, and and I stand by this, that that interview to me, Teresa is not nervous to see Joe. She is afraid to see Joe. Watch that interview again. And whenever she talks about the interaction they're about to have. She's like, well, I, I, I don't know. We haven't seen each other. That's not being nervous because you don't know if you're going to have sex with one another. Like I, to me personally, I saw kind of a level of fear in her eyes and uneasiness, not just we haven't seen each other in four years, but uh, I've been independent. I've been doing this. I look good. I've been seen out with this other guy. I'm just saying that's what I saw. There was, there was some nervousness. There was something that seemed abusive. Uh, as a viewer, as a, as as someone who has has her own PTSD with an abusive relationship, <coughs> to me there were markers in her behavior, her eyesight, everything. I would not be surprised if that also was going through her mind. That's mm-hmm. a such because a good he point. is abusive. I mean, yeah. we know this. We had the clip of him calling her a bitch. I think that she has she had that demeanor of someone who has gotten away. And you could almost see like her freedom closing back in on her. That's I think so that's why she's nervous. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to see them. Yeah. Well, and then I think she's nervous. And one of yeah. the few times that Andy has like been like, oh, I actually feel really bad about something is that he said that it was an off the cuff like kind of thing that he brought up Caroline Caroline Manzo's oh. prediction that Joe's going to go to prison, Teresa's going to get all the this freedom, and she's going to walk. And time. and Caroline. Manzo was then, um, you know, made out by Teresa to be somebody who had had their own history with corruption and prison and whatever. Which is not a lie. Uh, but Andy Allegedly. says he he should have defended Caroline in that moment because that's not quote, quote, her past. It is true. It's not Caroline's past. It's the family that she married into, allegedly, and their ties. Mm-hmm. So, Andy, is that part of the news, too, that Andy yeah, feels like that was the wrap-up with the Teresa story. He, he feels mm-hmm. like she... I actually do feel he should have... Um, yeah. I, I agree with Andy on that one, because it wasn't... Me, too. Caroline's past, per se, that we know about. But the Manzo it's, family. It's the family she married allegedly. into. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Mom so, ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should just call this show allegedly. We should. <laughs> Wait, that's good. Allegedly yeah. housewives. Yeah. Allegedly we housewives. Really should. Uh, that's like our gossip column. Live Historians show. on hot housewives, guess. where we tell you everything allegedly. Yeah, this is so gonna, good. That's Bravo news. Bravo news. Allegedly, but I do feel like Wendy Williams <laughs> probably already would would trademark that because that's all of her allegedly. And then she looks around mm. at the audience. <laughs> I know. I'm going to look into allegedly housewives, and I'm going to cut this out so that no okay. one can take this. Just so everyone knows. Right. I don't want to be sued or hurt by mm-hmm. anyone with any last names that begin with M and ends with Zo. Mm. Cut it out. Oh, <laughs> I see. So that's Bravo breaking news. Uh, so, Martina, tell us what's next for you. What are you working on, and how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? I work at Cal State Fullerton. I'm very easy to find there, I think. I'm in the cinema television arts department. What am I working on? I'm working on, um, I'm doing a media literacy thing at the moment, a workshop for an upcoming conference just on how to 
get ahead of how to talk about news and media studies classes ahead of the 2020 election when all we really talk about is how fake it is and we don't talk about how you can actually glean information that's relative to your, you know, how you're going to vote um, instead and just trying to understand how the media do produce news in this very tumultuous time. Um, and I'm interested in getting into some stuff about sports. I'm sort of straying away from the housewives for the moment, but not in only in only in work, but not in play. I love the housewives. I always used to say, as soon as I'm done with my dissertation, I'm never, ever watching another episode of housewives ever again. Um, which my husband constantly reminds me of. Don't you remember when you said you were done with that? Like, <laughs> I do, but I'm not. So it's actually much more fun to watch episodes when you're not taking notes on them. So it's something I love so much, and I'm sure I'll do more with later. Um, but for the moment, I'm interested in media literacy and maybe some sports stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's what's happening. My, our new theory, mine and Max's new theory, is that Housewives is really sports for people that don't do sports. Because you like have your housewife that you root for. That's so you're actually on teams. That's in line with what I say to my husband because he sometimes, he loves below deck, but on the Housewives he gets annoyed with because of the fighting mm-hmm. and the drama. And I say, you know, but you guys are so, the Cullen commentary on sports is very dramatic and there's always someone who's getting let go from a team who did drugs or who abused a wife or who... Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, they're getting traded and some manager, if they don't win this game, they're going to get fired. It's very dramatic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, like, you have that. It's just in sports. Like, sports is very dramatic. Totally. It's just a different packaging. It's a but different, it's the same. absolutely. Yeah. And it actually could be argued that sports is reality television because it's not Isn't scripted, it? it's not sets, and it's not professional actors. So what does he make then of Kim and Lamar? Or uh, uh, Chloe, Chloe and Lamar. Lamar. Chloe and Lamar. Oh, that was right? so long ago. I, know. I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. He's more of a Kate Chastain guy, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you guys so much. Thank it you. was so fun. <laughs> I love it. As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com, where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, or send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at historiansh. We live tweet Sunday through Thursday. And don't forget that you can like and review the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you, Dr. Martina Baldwin. This show is brought to you with the support by... Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Christina Hinkle, Christina Gamberpour, Jed Merlaski, Pete Murray, Yvonne Bellardes, Cody Baker, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Laura Loper, Kim Bettendorf, and Louis Asio de Dios. And remember, scholars do bravo too. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.